things that people connect with are the groove. So making sure that that song feels good, making sure that yeah. however you're accompanying yourself when you're doing your work tape, when you you know whatever you're doing in your right or left hand with your guitar player or a pianist, yeah, make it feel good. And then having a great melody over the top of that, you know, you're going to connect in some way. But if it doesn't feel good, it's probably not going to connect. Um, you're never going to be perfect the first time. It's just about failing and failing again. Be braver. Just be brave with asking for things. Welcome to Songwriter Trist 2024. I'm Ray Lee and this is an intimate podcast that is connecting songwriters from all over the world. Today we have musician, producer and songwriter Tyler Spicer all the way from the UK bringing a fresh modern sound to country production and many other genres. Music saved my life and through these conversations I'm discovering that I am not the only one. This is a safe space to share stories, lessons and emotions, all the great things that build an amazing song. Are you a songwriter? If yes and you want to connect into the community, get onto our newsletters, join the Facebook group, come to the events or even be on the podcast, then check out our website songwritertrists.com. And for sponsorship, they are now available through Buy Me A Coffee. And this year, we're going to start with a big thank you to Momentum Health in Bansdale, Victoria, my hometown. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Thanks for your support to the whole team there. And now we're going to get onto our chat with Tyler. Welcome to a songwriter Trist. We've got Tyler Spicer all the way from Bath, UK. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks for coming on. I'm looking forward to hearing more about your perspective from the songwriting world, but also uh, the UK perspective and country music. Um, we're not specifically country music, but I'm a country music artist and I speak to a, a lot of country music artists on this podcast um, from all over the world and Nashville and UK, um, but also in Australia. So I am so excited to hear more about how you got into what you're doing in the UK, plans for the future, but I want you to start by simply introducing everyone, maybe people who don't know you yet, Tell them a bit about who you are and where you come from. Right. So I am Tyler. Hey, nice to meet you guys. I am a producer, somewhat of a songwriter, all tied together in that. I'm working with different artists all over the world. At the minute, I primarily work remotely. So I work with people in Canada, Australia, the UK, Europe, and the USA, obviously. I'm a kind of country music producer, so that's kind of the focus. I was born just outside London, always been Whereabouts? a musical... I was born in Maidenhead, just outside London, okay. which if you're in America, that is London. And if you're in the UK, <laughs> that's not London. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I was born there. Um, musical family to some extent. My dad was musical, always loved music. And that's kind of led me on the career of doing music. You know, I picked up a trumpet aged about eight, sang in choirs and just kind of gone through like the traditional route of learning some classical music, then deciding I hated classical music, uh-huh. picked up a bass guitar at 13, did that. That was my kind of way all the way through school, university, and then onto touring with different people playing bass, mm-hmm. um, onto theatre tours, and some of those that came across sat in the pit and did kind of off-Broadway shows as they came for their first premiere in the UK. Mm-hmm. And then finished my degree, finished university, um, headed out and did more touring, played shows in London, played shows all over the UK, some in the USA, just toured, the, toured with different artists, anyone who would have me. Um, and then COVID hits. Uh, and I'd always been doing production stuff all the way through that. Um, and COVID was like the real 
kind of Kickstarter for songwriting and production. That's kind of where it really kicked off because it was a time of, okay, well, I've got to be internally creative and be in a room on my own or co-write or be with people over Zoom, that kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, and that's when you kind of, that initial kind of creativity, you're kind of forced to bring it out of yourself rather than be supporting somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and ever since then, I kind of moved down here to Bath, to um, Nam Studios outside Bath, which has had some great records recorded in it before. Um, and I'm kind of the house engineer here when when needed. Um, but yeah, generally just freelancing and um, producing for artists all over the world, particularly in the country sphere. Amazing. I'm going to backtrack because there's so much to cover here. But um, you said you, you influenced your, your, your dad or both parents were musical? Yeah. Yeah, my dad. Um, much. What did your dad do? He he was a guitar. He's a guitar player and um, amazing technical guitar player. Never particularly, you know, reached the heights with with bands and things. I think he kind of put the band I did to the side and did the family thing. Yeah. Um, but he's the guy that he turns up in the guitar shop and just kind of unassuming guy. Looks like he's just like a business guy. Kind of wears tweed jackets. Just uh-huh. quite traditional gentleman. Walks into the into the store. And um, grabs a guitar off the wall and starts doing all sorts of technical things. And the rest of the room stops and has a watch. And it kind of becomes a small <laughs> concert in the room. Um, all right. So he's a bit yeah. of, got a party trick guitarist because no one expects it of him. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I wouldn't want to tie him with the party trick brush. So I think he's a good good player anyway. You yeah. know? But, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Sometimes you say party trick. It's like, oh, yeah, look, he can play Stevie to heaven once. Yeah, like, yeah. He, no, he's good. Yeah. But yeah, he hasn't, yeah. he didn't, um, he put it aside, you think, for the family. Yeah. But he encouraged you in it, obviously. Definitely. I mean, that was the thing. I saw him, you know, work great jobs, earn great money doing what he did in his business, mm. but hate some, you know, hate some of it, like travel all over the yeah. world, but hate the fact that he was traveling all over the world type thing. Yeah. Um, so that really inspired me. And he always, you know, said, you know, I want you to be happy in what you do. And if you can do something that you enjoy as your job, then like that's, that's the real winner. I love that. And you know what? It's just not that common that I that I know of, especially after... 250 something interviews not a lot of people including myself have that sort of supportive um parental guidance growing up it's you know for me I was like I love music and they're like that's not a job what else can you you know what else are you going to do to actually make money and it's like oh okay um (laughs) maybe I'll be a doctor so um what was it like for you because it's it is hard to go from music as a passion as a kid everyone's allowed to learn music as a kid but then when you've got to pick a job or you know be sensible and grown up it can often be discouraged was it different for you because your dad was a guitarist or did you have that same sort of pressure there to pick a real job in quotation marks no never I was like that was the yeah I had two rules when I was growing up the one was the first one was be happy and the second one was try your best um and that's kind of always stuck with me like I think if anything it I always turn up even though I was a couple of minutes late to this, I always turn up. <laughs> and, um, you don't have to tell anyone. Don't admit your mistakes. That's rule number one. <laughs> Admitting your mistakes is so relatable, man. No, but yeah. Um, so for me, it was just do that, try your best. Um, so yeah. I always turn up to things. And, you know, you know, great the great Michael Rhodes session bass player who's sadly passed away this year, you know, his thing was always turn up, be in the room. If you're in the room, you've got a chance of making something great happen. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I never had that pressure. And I mean, I think he always encouraged it like it was always encouraged you know the minute I you know he bought me a, a, an electric guitar at age nine or something for my birthday mm. great guitar and I was like oh no not for me not right now sold it for an xbox like biggest regret ever um got a bass similarly and got rid of that um mm. and then finally when I got to 13 was like oh actually I'd like to do that 
So this time he bought me a cheaper bass because like, well, you've tried twice and you didn't do it. So let's try this. Fair enough. Um, yeah. But once I was on that path, you know, the minute I said, oh, can I have an acoustic guitar? Next day, shipping, it, it arrived type thing because he just wanted Aww. to. That's his thing. He got so much, he gets so much joy out of it and so much love and that's his time off. Yeah. And I think he just wants to kind of pass that to me. Your dad's my hero now. Thank you. If, if he's too. listening, Tyler's dad. Love you. Um, okay. So you, you, you've done really well. You went to university. You were touring. Um, and then COVID hit. What, what was that like? What happened with the COVID shutdown for you specifically as an artist? And I say artist because you're obviously very creative. I know some people don't use artists for different things. No, no. But... <laughs> Definitely. No, no. I think, I think all of us are artists. I think some of yeah. us underrate the idea that it's, one, that it's art, and two, that we're artists. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think... listen to those people. <laughs> <laughs> so um, for me, the uh, the COVID shutdown was, I almost felt like it came like at the right time for me in a way. It, it was an opportunity to just start again. Um, and I don't say start again entirely. I've always been in music and I've always wanted to keep being in music. But I'd always envisaged this idea that, oh, one day I'll be a producer and I'll kind of do it properly and full-time, maybe by the time I've done a lot of touring and, and done this, because you hear stories of, you know, idols and musicians who they play with a number of people, and then by the time they get to the end of their career, it's like, oh, I'll be a producer now and stay home a bit more. So that was always like, oh, I'll just do that. Um, and this is a real Kickstarter for songwriting and producing and, and meeting people and connecting with people online. And the first thing was I was always writing in the background and never really shared it with anybody. I'd spent a lot of my youth being told that, or like, it was intimated to me that I wasn't meant to be a songwriter, or I wasn't meant to be a composer, I wasn't meant to write. It was never said outwardly, but I just always felt that from, you know, in okay. A-level music or whatever, it was, oh, maybe you shouldn't do composition, maybe you should do the Buck Chorale bit, where it's kind of more technical and it's kind of a yes or no answer, rather than oh. trying to be creative with it. Sounds and like, like just a really a insecure, of- passive-aggressive person right there, who might have been threatened by your talent. <laughs> Yeah, let's I, just maybe, ignore them yeah. <laughs> yeah i think it's one of those things where sometimes music mm. education brings out like the sensible answer rather than the best answer for that person and their development overall so rather than being holistic with it you're just yeah. trying to aim an a a b or a c you know yeah um and similar thing with bands where you kind of come in with a song and uh, oh i've got this song today hey let's try it and we'll try it for five minutes anyway i've got this idea from the singer oh. uh, and that's kind of it you know yeah that's kind of frustrating, yeah. but at the same time, I do believe in divine timing. Um, and I was the same. I didn't show songs to anyone for 30 years, really. Wow. Um, and I didn't think I could sing either. And yet that's all I do now. So, you know, it's, <laughs> exactly. it's one of those things. I think maybe it's just it was meant to be the right time for you um, and you just had to sit on that gold and learn what you learnt, where you've been and what you've been doing. With songwriting privately versus coming into COVID and, and pivoting your career a little bit, where do you think the songwriting started? The songwriting started by give, well, kind of by giving being given an opportunity mm-hmm. um, and feeling like you felt, finding that co-writer that I could trust, basically. So there was a co-writer called Roshi McNeil. We were in a band together um, and we, yeah, the, I joined their band as a bass player. But we'd always kind of known that we both like country music and we're kind of into it. We were both at university at the same time, but we weren't on the same course and we weren't really in each other's spheres mm-hmm. until one day we had a day in a studio where I was kind of engineering it with a different artists and they were coming in as like a collaborative thing. Um, 
and we got chatting about country music and and that was kind of our shared love and passion and then after that they kind of realized oh he'd be great as a bass player for the band like maybe you know their guy left i came in with a drummer friend um and at that point you're a band and it's well what we're going to do next what we're going to sing next um and so roshi and i used to write a lot together just because of our shared kind of country love and she loved she loved or appreciated the pop country stuff but was super on the americana side loved laurie mckenna writers like that you know yeah um and i always brought that slightly more hooky poppy aesthetic to it yeah um so just having that opportunity with someone that you felt like you could trust felt like they respected what you did and what you said and felt like you were actually helping the songs Mm. um and were willing to listen and think, oh, yeah, that's cool, or maybe we try this. It was just that moment was really what changed everything in terms of songwriting, was having a co-writer I could trust. You kind of hit the nail on the head for everyone. Everyone just needs a bit of encouragement and from someone who's nice enough to not squash your dreams, but also um, someone who believes in you and that you actually get on well with. And we don't get on well with everyone, and it can be really hard. Um, so I'm really glad that you found that person. So what what do you do now as, as songwriting? Um and a producer how does the songwriting come into it when you're producing definitely so i mean it really depends but i think it gives me you know in the studio i think so many times an engineer is also the producer and the producer is also partly a writer or an arranger and and the nowadays these all get kind of interchanged as kind of one role and Mm. i feel like you need to really be strong at all of them and songwriting and having that appreciation of you know writing songs for people um you know i've had a couple of award nominated songs and things like that which i think that comes into my production and becomes really central to it it makes mm. sure that i don't really enjoy going into a studio with someone and them just going all right well here's what we're doing today mm. and if it's not really ready and it's not really you know fully baked as a song before it you know you know fully formed before it goes into the oven of the, the studio then I'm always going to be trying to work with people on that, trying to get the arrangement tied to trying to get maybe little melody things that aren't quite right or not quite sitting for me. I'll always be trying to help the writer do that. It's always a really difficult line to tread because you don't want to be kind of coming in late and going, all right, well, you know, I need some splits now and I'm going to be doing this. But, you know, if I can start to really tighten up the arrangement so that the song mm-hmm. feels better, that's a case of, hey, actually, today maybe this should be a, you know, the real hook of this song is the, the chorus like can we chuck that at the start can we put like you know maybe an affected version of that chorus melody so people have got that they know that's coming Mm. um that kind of idea having that songwriter's mindset towards production i think is is kind of essential to me um and i don't know if i don't feel like every producer i've been with or sat with or been in the room with has always had that approach you know well that yeah it really does come down to not just recording and, and you know pressing the record button but actually producing the arrangement um which is i think is an important job in a songwriting situation the arrangement is something that some people are really talented at some people you know learn to get better at um but i love working with people who have that because it's just so amazing to watch how someone who's got that arranging talent to take a hook that i may have written and just you know, put it into a, a yeah, a more popular sort of a palatable way. And we just want our songs to be received well, don't we? And if it can be improved by a slightly different arrangement, then why wouldn't we do it, right? Absolutely. I think it's all about the groove and the 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 things that people connect with are the groove. So making sure that that song feels good, making sure that yeah. however you're accompanying yourself when you're doing your work tape, when you've, you know, whatever you're doing in your right or left hand with your guitar player or a pianist, yeah, make it feel good. 
And then having a great melody over the top of that, you know, you're going to connect in some way. But if it doesn't feel good, it's probably not going to connect. And if the melody isn't great, you're probably not going to connect either. So for me, those are the two main focuses before we start thinking about anything else, whether it's sounds or whatever. Can you tell me about, um, it doesn't have to be one of your award-winning songs, but one of your experiences that you just, like, you love. When you think about the experience of the creation, maybe start to finish or whatever your involvement was in that project, the one that makes you feel the best and that you're most proud of and what happened? Like, why, why is it that for you? Wow, I've never thought about this. This is, a, this is an intense question. Um, I mean, I, to be honest, I feel like I'm one of those people that throws everything into every song I do. So for me, the process is really the same and the feelings are generally the same. I mean, I think like any creative, the, mo- the best moment is when you kind of unveil it to the, mm. the artist and they go, I love this. Like, there's nothing really better because I know that we're all artists and we should all plough and furrow and, and we shouldn't worry about that that side of things. But I think naturally we always want art to be received well. That's kind of what we want. We we appreciate. We love our art. That's the most important thing is that we love our art. Yeah. And then we hope that someone else is going to love that art too. I think your compass is always, you know, your North Star is always... I love this. I'm going to do what I think is the right thing to make this sound better and better and better until I feel like, you know, it's as good as it can be in the time frame. We never, you know, you're never going to get to perfection, yeah. but you're definitely going to get to, I really like this. And I think the most important thing for me is always, you know, whether it's in here or on my own doing editing and, and, and putting things together, like the rack of guitars next to me that you can see, obviously the viewers, listeners won't, but, um, you know, get a it's screenshot about, or something and chuck it up. <laughs> for sure, yeah, yeah. It's about grabbing those off there and playing some stuff that that sounds great and 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 just getting excited about the music. Like no matter yeah. what it is, the project. So long as I'm excited about it, whether it's you know, I've done a couple of things this year for just local artists and got to the end of the the album and gone, I really like that. Like that's great. I really enjoyed that. And it's that moment where it starts to come together and you start bouncing in the room and grooving around to what you've created. Yeah. For me, that's the moment of connection because I'm connecting to it and every other bit of music I've connected to is made by someone else who hopes yeah. that I would connect with it. So hopefully when I make this and put it out with the artist, someone else is going to connect with it too. That's how we connect to music. I love it. Can you tell me opposite to that then, have you had an experience where you've worked with someone and you didn't connect or like what you loved they didn't love and it just, you know, you were pulling in the opposite directions um, have yeah. you had that experience? You're nodding. <laughs> um, how did you manage that situation? What what was what do you think the best thing, or what did you learn from it if if it didn't go well? Often that's like finding the right artists and being paired with the right people. Because sometimes, right now, I always, almost always, connect with people that I think it's going to work. You know, I, I'm rarely going to take on anything that I think mm, we're just not on the same page, or like you're not going to kind of appreciate any of the the directions I'm going. Um, but I've had a couple of, again, actually more, generally it's more of the kind of, there's this funny kind of reverse psychology thing that goes on with people that have fewer listeners generally in terms of their metrics and, and they have less of an audience basically being much more fussy about what they're producing. And I think it comes from the, yeah, generally, generally kind of being a bit more controlling about it and a bit more kind of gripping onto it a little bit more. Whereas artists that I find that I've worked with that are in the 20,000, 30,000, 50,000, 100,000 listeners mm. are really open to just doing something else. And I think it comes mm. down to what I call the, once I learned the approach of there's always another song, 
yeah everything changed for me like whether it was songwriting whether it was creating and producing that changed everything for me because I was no longer obsessing over every detail of one song but actually going hey let's write this song today right tomorrow we'll write another song hey we'll work produce one song today and then tomorrow we'll produce another song because if you start obsessing over those one song you're not getting the experience of writing others mm. and I feel like it comes down to the same with artists that are you know low listenership they're almost scared they don't really know what they want to do they know they've almost got this box in their head of like this is what I am rather than hey there's like let's just create art and make something really cool and just do whatever with it so I've had a few where I'll do things that I think are really cool like that's amazing that like, I can't wait for them to hear this and you get in the room and go oh could you just undo that we kind of liked it how it was and they kind of like it back at like almost like the demo stage. Do you think it's because they're just used to it or because they put so much work exactly. into getting it to that? Yeah. Exactly. They're so used to, it's either it's two things. They're either so used to how they sound as a band on stage, they don't want to go beyond that. And right. often they'll say like, I'll be want to be this, but they don't really want to be that. That's what they think they should be. Um, right. And they're so worried about being perceived as something different or doing something different that they won't take the risk. And I think that's the most important thing. You've got to always take a risk and develop and try things. Um, you're never going to be perfect the first time. It's just about failing and failing again, but then failing a bit better the next time. Okay, so just to make everyone else feel a bit better about themselves, how long did it take you to learn that lesson? <laughs> uh, yeah, that took a, a long time. To, <laughs> okay. I mean, there's three different lessons there, but the, yeah. the there's always a song thing was a quote. I can't remember who it was, but that really changed the game for me. That was probably two and a half years into songwriting. But don't forget mm. music. My music has been since I was about uh, 16, 17 or something. So yeah. I'm now 28. So, um, you know, that, that's probably the last third of it, if not even later than that, the last quarter that I learned that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's just I, I'm a thinker. I like philosophy. I like thinking about the approach to things. I like that kind of vision. And I like to be inspired by ideas that other people have culturally. Mm. So you know, it, that kind of stuff really fuels me. But that's not for everyone. Everyone's got a different path. I love that you like that and that you, you take that approach to your music because I think um, it's important to have, even though you know, you're passionate about country music, so am I, but I wasn't raised on it and I love all sorts of other types of music. When you're working with an artist, how do you help guide them as far as the sound that they want to have and what elements, is, like especially in country as a genre, is such a broad yeah. <laughs> um, genre. As far as I know, some people will just say everyone's country. Well, what do you recommend to people as they're on that journey as far as picking genres and what influences them? I, I, again, this is like one of those topics that an academic level is becoming like a dead discussion. It's like does genre exist you know we're on that kind of level it's like what's yeah. the point in, in labeling genre there's so many crossovers of different things that's the thing i love about country music i love country music because there's no rules really like mm. it, there are rules kind of but you can do a number of different genre crossover things with it and it doesn't matter that's kind of the yeah. thing that i think i fell in love with i've got super eclectic tastes i kind of as you've intimated there you have um you know I, I studied jazz for a bunch of years. That was my university thing, whilst also producing pop stuff and rock stuff on, on another, you know, jumping in on another course while I was at university doing that stuff. Yeah. Um, and so I think, for me, it's just about finding, I think if you've got a great narrative and you, your songs are pretty much narrative-driven, I'd say you're kind of country at that point. Um, mm. You know, country songwriters are super literal. 
I love the fact that it's literal and double entendre. That's kind of like the the go-to wheelhouse for if you're a, a country writer. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing I always associate with that. And that, to me, I, I guess I'd say, like, if you're saying I'm sitting under an oak tree, that's country. If you're kind of being metaphorical with the oak tree, you're in the Americana world or you're into something else. And yeah, I, I think I just would not worry about genre too much. I think it's just about putting the music out, creating what feels right to you. And if you want it to be received on the country chart, if you feel like your audience and the people you connect with are country, then you label it country and put it on Apple Music and Spotify. But the only time genre ever really matters is when you're sat looking at the page from a distributor and you're going, oh, which category do I fit in? Am I like world <laughs> R&E? Am I this? Am I... That's the only time it matters, right? Otherwise, mm. people just listen to music. And hopefully you just find the genre that matches with the playlists that you feel. That's where the industry's at right now. Yeah. Can I ask around songwriting and producing and what you're doing now, um, what what would you be like your ultimate dream project or what would you, where would you like to head into as far as next steps for Tyler Spice? Wow. Next generation. Yeah. That's such a movie voiceovers. Um I'm an actor as well, so I, I like to get theatrical. <clears throat> yeah, I love it. I'm done for that. So the next steps, well, the plan is I, I'm I'm currently going through the process of moving to Nashville, so that's that's the thing. I'd love to be in Nashville. Spent Why do you want to be in Nashville? Out of all the cities in the world that could do music, what's, what is it about Nashville that's attracting you there? It's the people. And I, I can't obviously generalise about everybody, but almost everybody I've met there is super helpful. They have a great vibe. I like the fact that it's kind of still like a family orientated like traditional to some extent in terms of values mm. um but there's just a slightly slower pace of life there than london or you know new york i love new york i've got to say i do love new york there's something about new york that i look out and i go oh this is exciting because there's so much stuff going on yeah but for me i feel like country music helps that obviously in terms of nashville as a choice yeah but i just feel like the the city the people the vibe is it matches me right now. And that can yeah. change, obviously, through life. We have different stages. But I feel like going to that next stage, that's where I'd like to be. It's where I feel comfortable. You know, I walked down, you know, a street in East Nashville and felt this real feeling within me that I was more comfortable here than I have been at home maybe ever. Yeah. No, I've definitely had that feeling in Nashville. If you could go back to a younger you, younger Tyler, and give yourself one piece of advice for you know, moving into the future of where you are now, what's something you wish you had have known earlier or, or something that you've learnt that you could pass on? Yeah. I always go with instincts these questions. And the first thing you said when I when you said, yeah, the first thing I thought when you said younger Tyler was be braver. Just be brave with asking for things and, and, and don't... Okay, this is... Mum and dad, I love you so much. And obviously I've said this in the podcast already. We all love our mum and dad. <laughs> they are naturally kind of, they will sit there. And I'll sit now, you know, at a dinner table with them when we go over there. And they'll be talking about why they shouldn't do something because this is going to be the outcome. And I was brought up to be very safe and like, you know, kind of very conscious of what the dangers were of anything. Because it was about making sure I was safe and everything. But I feel like that became that I would restrict myself by saying, oh, why would I reach out to that person? Because they're not going to be interested in working with me because of this and this and this. Mm. Rather than connecting with someone and just saying, hey, this is what I offer. Like, and not being afraid of that rejection. And mm. I think it's 
that's kind of I've had to learn that rejection thing later. I've kind of learned that in the last two or three years of it's okay to be rejected. And it's really, to me, a numbers game. The more okay. people you are rejected by, the fewer, you know, the closer to the next chance you're going to get. And if you reach out to 600 people for whatever it is, whether it's a song pitch, whether it's a, a production, whatever it is, and 10% of them reply to you or 10% get back to you or 10% of them want, you know, they'll actually talk to you in person or have a meeting with you. And then out of those, you, you know, actually 5% of that happens. Well, out of 600, that's pretty great. That's still 15 people, right? Yeah. So, you know, it, it's, it really is a numbers thing. Like, just keep reaching out and keep connecting with people. I think that you hit the nail on the head again with like the whole um, being an artist and fear of rejection because we can never make an, an art, any art form that relates to everyone. Um, and there's always going to be a form of rejection. And the most successful art has the most haters, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. because you're making people feel something. Um, and that's, yeah, I think that the fear of rejection kills the most amount of artists and art that I've, I've ever met. It's really sad. Um, so I'm glad you brought that up because it doesn't come up very often. Um, but it is, it's a real mental strength thing that we have to get through. If, if you could collaborate with anyone in the world, though, dead or alive, and you could reach out to them and they were going to say yes, guaranteed, <laughs> what, who would you want to work with and why? Oh, this probably changes like week by week as a different album comes out. I'm like, wow, that's great. <sighs> um, I would, I'd love to work on like a Hardy record, or like a Nate Smith record. One of those guys that kind of digs in a little bit more. They've got a little bit more of a rocky thing. Maybe Hardy. I feel like my tastes are probably like most mostly with Hardy because I like the high the jazz thing gave me an appreciation for kind of hip-hop where like you know Robert Glasper and artists like that cross over into the hip-hop world and you kind of got this hip-hop syncopation with jazz harmony so yeah. I've always had that little bit of hip-hop thing in there for me like those beats are great I was yeah. talking to someone last night actually about how I feel like that halftime thing came you know that halftime feel that now is so prevalent in pop music with like massive 808 things yeah. It also was mimicked in the 2010s with rock music, like that halftime drop that you get to in the bridge. Yeah. And so I love that kind of interplay of like rock and hip hop. And like those two are actually very much fused together to me in, in rhythm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like a Hardy record or a Nate Smith record, just something that's got a bit of bite to it and naturally like a little bit of a rocky thing. Um, so yeah, one of those, I think. I love that. That'd be really cool. What, what are you open to at the moment? What can listeners get at? What would you recommend for them to do as far as following your journey, maybe learning from you, wanting to work with you? Yeah, Instagram. Like Instagram, Instagram. is the thing for me. Like That's everything. Um, you know, what I do on a daily basis, behind the scenes, working with different artists, um, records I've worked on, you know, it's all there. So I try and make it easy for anyone who wants to connect, follow, chat, talk about, ask for help, whatever it is. Like, mm -hmm. feel free to reach out. Um, and even, yeah, if you were thinking about working together, you're after a, a producer that's kind of got eclectic taste, working country stuff, um, and make you sound like you should be on the radio, then that's kind of my vibe. Um, awesome. And, yeah, so Instagram, DM me there. I love that. Um, is there anything else you would like to share that we've missed that we haven't talked about? There's a lot of things where you ask questions and there were like two or three-bit questions and I feel like I only jumped on the last half of it. But hopefully like this is going to be useful to someone out there and it helps them on their journey. Well, I think it's really inspirational. Um, for me anyway, I found it really inspirational to, to see how flexible you've obviously been, that you've always wanted to have fun and you've been, you've been obviously very passionate and driven to get to where you are and skilled in what you're doing because it takes work to get 
to be able to do it, no matter how talented you are naturally. No one comes out of the birth canal playing a guitar. Um, <laughs> but also that, you know, COVID happened and we saw a lot of disruption in the industry happen during COVID, bands breaking up, people completely quitting the industry altogether. Um, so to, to pivot the way that you've done um, and that you're, you're kind of going at it full, full strength, I just wish you all the best and I want to see you be really successful and, you know, be working with your dream artists and hear some really cool Tyler Spice hip-hop collaboration stuff. That would be so cool. Um, so, I, yeah, I really hope that this podcast gets to the right people and inspires other people that doesn't matter what happens, you can do it no matter what people say and uh, and you're a real testament to that. So thank you for sharing your story and uh, coming on here. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Nice, pretty kind words. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. Thanks for joining our songwriter Trist today. To join the family and keep up to date with future podcasts, you can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram and Twitter. Please leave a review and subscribe. To support the podcast or contact me or our guest, please go to the website songwritertrists.com. Crowd, no one can hear me. Wish I could